let's take our Bibles tonight and let's turn to the book of 2 Peter and chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, if you would go there with me. <clears throat> this was a, a passage of scripture that I had intended on uh, preaching kind of from a different angle and throughout the course of the week as I've just kind of tried to absorb it and, and, and consider some things in it, I just felt like I needed to uh, really just step back and kind of look at the bigger picture of all of this, and and I trust that this is what the Lord has for us this evening. And so if you are there in Second Peter chapter 1, can I ask you to stand with me if you're able, as we read beginning in verse number 1, Second Peter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says here, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Really, I could stop there and just preach that this evening. Isn't it wonderful to know that here's a, a man that walked with Jesus for all of those years, those three years of Jesus' ministry. He was part of not only his 12, but the three that were part of his inner circle. And, and you could even maybe make the argument that he had a a unique relationship with Jesus unlike the others and even had the opportunity to reaffirm his love for Christ on those three occasions. Lord, you know that I love you. And he's writing now to those who have obtained like precious faith. You know the faith that you have in Christ and the relationship you have with Christ is no less than what Peter had, that apostle. If you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are his and he is yours. What a blessing that is. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And really verse number 11, I want you to just consider that statement. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you tonight on making a grand entrance. Making a grand entrance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word and this powerful passage of Scripture. 
And Father, there are so many things that are here written, even just these 11 verses that we've read, that I know that we won't be able to cover them all this evening, but I just want to ask that your Holy Spirit would guide uh, in the message and, and help us to see what you want us to see from your word tonight. And uh, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you have your perfect will uh, in the lives of your people? And I just pray that we would uh, leave here tonight closer to you than we came. And with a desire to know you more, to love you more, and to grow in our faith. And Lord, we'll just give you honor and praise and glory for all that you do in your house. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What a powerful passage of scripture that we just read in these verses. And uh, I, I really believe if you were to take the rest of the year and just uh, spend some time each day meditating on these truths, you wouldn't exhaust uh, the, the depth of the, of the truth that is written herein, because Peter's writing this letter to uh, believers, specifically believers that are living in the last days, and he's admonishing them, and he, throughout the, the, the book, actually lets them know that the reason that he's writing is to remind them, essentially, of things that they already know, but things that they need to be reminded of. Don't we sometimes need to be reminded of things you know, you never reach a point in your life where you say, okay, I've learned it all, I've heard it all, now I'm done. Uh, no, we need to be continually refreshed and reminded and renewed. And so th th there's a lot of that here in Second Peter, and, and it really is a book of remembrance. And so he starts off this book by kind of reminding us of that faith that we have in Christ, what salvation has done for us. As we consider the goodness of God and and, and the, the fact that God has been good in our lives, if we just stopped at the fact that God saved us, would that in itself not be enough to say God has been good? The fact that, that, that He was willing to give His own life, to shed His blood, to pay for my sins, and, and, and to make me His child, and to welcome me into His family. I, I mean, that alone is enough that if God never gave me anything else... Uh, he is worthy of my uh, worship for all of eternity because He is good. And, and I'm thankful that I, just like all the others who've gone on before and just like you have obtained through faith, that like precious faith in Jesus Christ, we've been born into His family. And now we have, according to verse number 3, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that's been given to us by His power, and all these things that pertain unto life and godliness flow from the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given to us everything we need, not just to get by, not just to, uh, to, to make it, uh, but He has given us everything that we need in order to live a, a life, an abundant life of obedience uh, to Him, walking in the fullness of the Spirit and in the will of God. Verse number 4, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Understand this, friend. One of the greatest things about salvation is not simply that God saved you and changed your eternal destination but the fact that God has delivered you from the corruption that is in the world, from the sin that was destroying you, from the sin that was sending you to hell, and He's delivered you from that, and now He has given to you His divine nature. 
that you can walk in Him. That the, the life of Christ can be made manifest in you. This is just incredible truth as you, as you look through this, but those verses are not what we're going to talk about tonight. As much as I would like to. <laughs> That's not what we're going to talk about tonight. Because what happens is, in verse number 5, I think sometimes we, we, we look through the Scriptures and we kind of maybe gloss over some things or miss some things because as we stop and we think about what we have in Christ, the salvation that we have in Christ, and yes, the eternal security that we have in Christ, sometimes we kind of stop there and we say, you know, praise the Lord, I'm saved, I know that I'm going to heaven, and now I'm just going to wait until that day. But I want you to notice that verse number 5 says this, and beside this, you know, it's kind of like the, one of those game shows, but wait, there's more, you know? Beside all of these things, there's something else. He says, beside this, giving all diligence. So you, you have freely received all of these things. You freely received this like precious faith in, in Christ. You freely received all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You've freely received the deliverance from the corruption that's in the world, and you've re freely received the divine nature. But because you have received these things now, you ought to be diligent to do what? Beside this, giving all diligence, add. To your faith. Add to your faith. I wonder how many of us could say that we have been diligent in adding to our faith. If we were to go through the room tonight, and we're not going to do this because we don't have time and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but if we were going to go through the room and ask individually, do you know that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven... I think most of the people in this room would say, yes, I know that. I have been saved. I know that I am on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But as we read this passage, as we just read a moment ago, about adding to our faith, and he tells us what to add to our faith, he gives us a reason at the end of this, in verse number 11, he says, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if you, if you just read that and you don't take the time to really consider the context of all of this and compare Scripture with Scripture, you might actually come to the conclusion that what he's saying is, you better work really hard to make sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Do you see how someone could read that into there? But that's not what it says. It doesn't say add to your faith these things so that an entrance may be ministered unto you. But he says, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, could we say it this way? So that when you enter into the presence of God, that you can do so with your head held high. So that that entrance into glory, into heaven, is abundant. 
The, the Bible talks about this in 1 John uh, chapter 4. It talks about uh, having boldness in the day of judgment. I'm afraid that far too many Christians, honestly, even though their soul is eternally secure in Christ, are going to kind of walk into heaven with their head hung a little bit with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of regret. And maybe even some fearfulness of what they're going to face at the judgment seat. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. We don't have to just barely skate by. You know, the Bible talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, those who uh, will, uh, will be saved, yet so as by fire, because all their works have been burned. Everything they live for in this life is burned up and they have no reward. They're in heaven, praise the Lord for that. They're in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. Their soul is secure in Christ, but they really don't have anything to show for their life that, that they live as a Christian. And so this passage of Scripture, what it's telling us is really how we can make a grand entrance into heaven. And when I say that, I don't mean that we're going to walk into heaven with our chest puffed out and and saying, look at me, look what I've done. But but I just want to say this, I don't want to be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. And I understand that anything good that has come out of my life is not a result of me and my own virtue. It is the, 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 the grace of God that has enabled me. And it's simply His goodness and His grace. And I, I seriously mean this from the bottom of my heart. If anything good has come out of my life, praise the Lord. Don't praise me. Because it's not me. But I will say this. Anything in my life that is displeasing to the Lord, that is my fault. That is my bad choices. And I don't want to get to heaven with my head hanging because of regret. I want to be able to make an abundant entrance. Now again, I understand... This isn't something that I make for myself. It says, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. It's still a gift from God. I'm not talking about pride and arrogance here. I'm just saying there are some things, if you have been saved, there are some things that ought to be happening in your life. And and I want you to notice as we go back to verse number 5, it has this concept with it where we see these words, add to your faith. You have been given salvation freely. It's been granted to you by the Lord. Nothing you have done has made you saved. He saved you. Now, I am not not a Calvinist. Understand this. I am not. I deny all of that heresy. But I do not deny that salvation is not a work of man. It's a work of God. And were it not for the Holy Spirit working in me and even drawing me unto Himself and showing me my sin and my need for a Savior and opening my eyes to truth, I would be lost today. It is God that has worked in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And how all of that works, I don't claim to know because I don't understand my God. I know that God has made salvation free to whosoever will. And all I can say is praise God, He worked in me. It's not me, it's not what I've done, 
But friend, if I have been saved, I ought not stop only at saving faith. My life was not just complete the moment I was saved. I understand I am complete in Him. But friend, I am to be diligent in adding to that faith. I am to be committed to growing in Christ. God did not save you to stay the same. When you got saved, you became a new creature in Christ. And and what does it say? Other foundation can no man lay than is laid, that is Christ. But if any man build upon this foundation... So the foundation is in Christ. When we got saved, that was all Him. But now we've been tasked with this concept of building on what God has done. And we do so by the grace of God. And so through diligence, we are to obey. And here's what we are to add to our faith. Notice this. It says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is really godly character. Virtue is is a very general term that speaks of of good things. We could could maybe call this the first fruits of salvation. There are some things uh, that, that young baby Christians need to learn about what God expects from them. One of my sons just this past week, who's been asking questions about salvation and things like that, he made a profession of faith in Christ. I'm rejoicing with him. And now we're in the process of teaching how to add to that faith. Here's what God wants from your life. And the first thing, it mentions virtue. Goodness, godly character. There are some things that, there ought to be a change in your life when you get saved. You're not the same as you used to be. Add to that faith virtue. And then listen to this, to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. I wonder how many of us, go with me if you would to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hold your place here in 2 Peter. But Hebrews chapter 5, I wonder how many of us are continuing to add to our faith knowledge. I would say a a fairly good portion of those uh, represented in the room here tonight have probably been in church most of our lives. I know I have. Uh, I don't know the first time I walked through the doors of a church, I was carried through a lot more than I walked, you know, initially, those first few years. I mean, I was going to church from the time I was a little baby and hearing truth, and I remember learning all these stories, the Bible stories in Sunday school and all of that. But, you know, there comes a point in your life where if you're not careful, you start to feel like I've got it all figured out. I already know what the Bible says. I think I've told you this before. There's a man that I have talked to on several occasions who tells me, and he openly admits this, that he has not read the Bible. He claims to be a Christian, claims that he's saved, and he admits that he has not read the Bible in something like 20 or 30 years And his reason is, because I've read it before, and I already know what it says. (laughs) Now listen, we laugh at that. You know why we laugh at that? Listen, I have no idea how many times I've read through the Bible. I don't always just start at Genesis and read through. There are certainly books of this Bible that I've read more than others. But literally dozens of times I've read through every verse... 
in this Bible. And every day, when I open it up, I learn something new. I mean, I do. I learn something new. And I'm reminded of things that I've forgotten. And even beyond that, even between beyond learning something new and beyond being reminded of something I've forgotten, the Lord shows me things about myself that I never knew before. And the Lord shows me things about his, Himself that I haven't known before. I'm just saying to you, there's, you're never going to exhaust everything that God wants you to know this side of heaven. Now, I'm thankful that there is coming a day that I will know even as I am known. That's a pretty good thought when you consider that the very hairs of your head are numbered. God knows everything about you, and I will know Him because I'll see Him face to face, and I'll be like Him. So I'll see Him as He is, and I'll know even as I am known. But until that day, I've got a lot of learning to do. And I ought to be adding to my faith virtue and knowledge, verse 12 of Hebrews 5. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is, listen to these words, unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Here's what this is saying. There comes a time. Notice those words. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Now we understand that according to Ephesians 4, there is a gift given to a church among those that that were mentioned, right? He, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. There is a gift of teaching. Not everyone has that gift of teaching. In fact, one of the qualifications for a pastor is that he is one who is apt to teach or has the ability to teach. So not everyone has that. However, even if you don't have the gift of teaching, there comes a time that you ought to be a teacher. Did you know that just because you don't have a gift does not give you the excuse not to be obedient? Like, I could say to you, I don't believe I have the gift of evangelism. But that does not absolve me from doing the work of an evangelist. I still have that responsibility. I still have to witness to other people. Even though I'm not as gifted at it as someone else, and it's more difficult maybe in some ways for me than it is for others, I still have to do it because I'm a child of God and I've been commanded to be a witness for Christ. And folks, there comes a time, you might say, well, I'm not a good teacher. Well, you ought to be a teacher. You ought to reach some point in your life where you are able to help someone else come to Christ and then grow in their faith. And when for the time ye ought to be teachers, he says, ye have need that one teach you again. Rather than being a teacher, you are a student. And the reason you're a student is because you're a babe. And look what it says. For everyone, verse 13, that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Did you know it's possible to know all the Bible stories and still be unskillful in the Word? Still not really know how to utilize the Word of God and, 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 and find answers for life and, and be able to apply it in your life? The, the Word of God is likened to a sword. 
in Hebrews 4. And a sword is something, if you're going to wield it, if you're going to use it, you've got to learn the skill. And every child of God ought to be learning the skill of handling the Word of God. You say, well, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, and I'm not a pastor, and I... No, no, no. You don't have to be, but you ought to be skillful in the word of righteousness. If you've been saved for any length of time, you need to grow in this, because verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He said, I don't know really how to use the word of God to discern truth from error and good from evil. Here's the answer. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Read it, study it, fill yourself with it. And you know what happens? The more that you feed yourself the word of God, the more you'll find the word of God flowing out of you. It's just what happens. You know, you could... I've got friends, I won't throw them under the bus and tell you who they are. I've got friends, they're really into sports. And they read all kinds of stuff about sports and, and statistics and all these different things. And you know what? When you talk to them, they can just rattle stuff off. I've got other friends, really close brotherly friends, that are into firearms. If you haven't figured this out, I'm kind of a firearms enthusiast myself. And there are a lot of things that if, you, if this is something you're interested in and you, you've done some research and some reading, and, and I found out a long time ago, you can really learn a lot to the point where you start talking to someone and information just starts coming out of you. Different models, different types, different calibers, different, you know, I mean, there was a time, not now, but I, could, I was like a walking ballistics chart for some <laughs> different calibers, you know. I was, but I'm not that way now. But the things that you put in come out. You know what? If you'll fill yourself with the Scripture, just fill yourself. Feed it. Feed on it. Spend time in the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. You know what will happen? You'll find yourself witnessing to someone... And all of a sudden, something they say brings to mind a verse of Scripture that you, didn't even, you weren't even thinking of it, but it was there. You know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He said that, he, calling Him the Spirit of truth, He said, He will bring all things to your remembrance. All things to your remembrance. Do you know what has to happen in order for something to be called to memory? It has to be in there. I had a teacher in college that would always pray before a test. And he would pray that the Lord would help us in proportion to our study. I didn't appreciate him very much. But you know, he wasn't wrong. The more you study, the easier it is to recall. In other words, the more that you feed yourself the Word of God, the more skillful you will become in knowledge. And you ought to be diligent in adding to your faith virtue and knowledge. And then as we go back to 2 Peter chapter number 1, 
I want to show you not only are we to add to our faith virtue and knowledge, but he says in verse 6, and to knowledge, temperance. Now, temperance, it's, it's often uh, referenced or described as self-control, but I believe it's actually more than that. Can I, can I maybe give you a slightly different and I think more biblical definition? Temperance is the ability to bring your flesh under the control of the Holy Spirit. Temperance is learning to yield to Christ. The problem is when we say, well, okay, I need self-control, we tend to start thinking of that in, in terms like it's a willpower issue. I've got to just try harder and be better and push harder. But that really isn't what temperance is. It's denying the flesh and allowing the Holy Spirit to overcome. This, this really gets down to walking in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about how every man needs to learn and know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. So temperance is this, learning not to be controlled by your flesh. Not to be controlled by your flesh. I want to say something, but I don't want anyone to take this personally. But if you do, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Too many Christians know very little about the Spirit-filled life because they are carnally minded. Too many believers know how to walk in the power and strength of their own flesh and their own wisdom but have no concept of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded. This is an, an elemental, foundational level Virtue of the Christian life. Virtue, knowledge, temperance. And then it says in verse number 6, the end of the verse, and to temperance, patience. Hmm. Patience is a tough one. You know we don't learn patience. It doesn't come to us instantly. Lord, I want patience and I want it right now. That doesn't happen, does it? Patience is something that's learned. And it's actually a painful process. Because the Bible says in James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's not an easy thing to learn. But patience would refer to things like this, learning to wait on the Lord. Learning to wait on God's timing. Have you figured out that God's timing is not always our timing? And God doesn't always work on the same timetables that we would like Him to. And sometimes we think, Lord, I, I, I just need you to answer this prayer. I need this to come through. I need this to happen. 
And it's like he's not even answering. Because God doesn't always work on our timetable. But patience is learning to wait on God's timing. Patience is learning to wait for God to work in the lives of others. That can be a hard thing. Maybe learning to wait for God to work in the life of your spouse. Patience. And learning to endure difficulty and temptation with joy and rejoicing. Patience. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. Godliness. This is, this is more than just virtue. This is more than just godly character. This actually is a, a, a characteristic that honestly, it, it, it almost, if we're not careful, can, can come across as blasphemous. This idea that we would be like God. That we would be like Christ. But understand this. This is the reason that we've been saved. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that hath called you out of darkness into His glorious light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then He said, ye are the light of the world. Now, you're not God and I'm not God, but I will tell you this, if you have Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, the life of Christ can be manifested in you. And if you will walk yielded to Him, the character that flows out of you is not yours, it's His. It's the divine nature. And overall, Christ-likeness in your life, and what's going to flow out of that, to godliness, brotherly kindness. Well, I struggle to show love and kindness to someone else. Maybe the problem is that we're not godly enough. Christ is not being made manifest in us. And to brotherly kindness, charity, we just recently went through 1 Corinthians 13 together and what the Bible says about charity in our lives. And so very, very briefly, we could have spent a week on each of those. You're welcome, we didn't. But these are the things that God says add. Add these to your faith. If you've been saved, add to your faith. Be growing in each of these areas. Not accidentally. Not, I hope that over time, if I come to church and, you know, eventually these things are just going to happen. No, it says giving all diligence. Make it a priority of your life to work on these things, to let God work these things in you and, and, and seek after them. Why? Because, verse number eight, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be fruitful in the knowledge of God. I've told you my testimony before. There was a time in my life where I was saved and really had, had not learned anything but to walk in my own flesh. 
I'm not blaming anyone for that. That's on, that's on me. But I had been away from the Lord. I was, I was backslidden. I was just in a really bad place spiritually. And God got a hold of me. And I tell people, like, it's like this. I understand and, and I totally believe in eternal security, but it was almost like being saved all over again. I mean, God so got a hold of me in a way almost that he never had before. When that happened, there was one desire that was just, I wish that it, it, I could say it's been there at all times ever since. But I'm just telling you, when, when God got a hold of me, there was one desire. and Here's what it was. I want to know him. I want to know him. And I knew basically what the Bible said. I knew, as I said, all the stories. And I could quote a lot of scripture, but one thing I realized is I don't know him like I want to know him. And Paul talked about this as he said in Philippians 3, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, what is that high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Four verses earlier he told us, and here's what he said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And then He said, not as though I had already attained. Here's Paul, who through the abundance of revelations that were given unto him, wrote about half of the New Testament. God spoke directly to him, audibly at times, and through him, and this man said, I haven't gotten there yet. I have not yet achieved this level of knowledge of God that, I, that I'm looking for, so I'm striving for that. And here's what this says, if you'll add to your faith, these things, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of him. You say, well, I just want to grow. I just want to know Him. Then add to your faith. Add to your faith. All of these things, because if these things are in you and abound, they make you that you shall not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And then verse number 9, here's the contrast of that. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So, so, who is the man? Who is the man that is lacking these things? It is a Christian, and I'm telling you for years, this was my testimony. The man who is lacking in the things that ought to be added to his faith is spiritually blinded. Did you know it's possible to be saved and yet spiritually blinded in a lot of ways? It is. 
You can be blinded by sin. You can be blinded by carnality. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Do you know what the number one question that I get as a pastor is? In, in, in some way, here, here's the question. How can I know the will of God? That's what we all want to know, isn't it? What, what, is, what is God's will for my life? How can I know this? And yet we find in the Bible that God's not trying to hide His will from us. We're told in, in Romans chapter 12 that if, oh, if we'll present our bodies a living sacrifice and if, if we will not be conformed to this world but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we'll be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, God's will is, is knowable but what does it require? That we put off the old man and put on the new man. It requires that we get rid of that carnal nature and fleshly living and put on the new man who we really are in Christ and as we present ourselves to him and as we renew our minds in him he makes his will known and clear to us Proverbs chapter 3 5 and 6 I'm sure you can quote it trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and what he shall direct thy paths in other words, you can prove His will. You will know His will because you're following in obedience to Him. And then Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 tell us this, but the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. He who is lacking these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You say, well, I want clarity, I want truth, I want God to reveal His will to me. Then add to your faith. Virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and brotherly kindness and godliness and all of these things that God just said. Because he that lacketh these things is blind and he's unperceptive of God's will. He cannot see afar off and not only is he blinded to the future, he's even confused about the past because it says, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I told you the number one question that I get as a pastor is, is this, how can I know the will of God? The number two thing that I deal with as a pastor is this, how can I really know that I'm saved? And those who've pastored in this room, and there are several, can attest to this multitudes of believers struggle with the assurance of their salvation. God does not want you to struggle with that. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wants you to know. You know what the problem is? When I was living in total carnality and away from God, at first I lived as though I was a lost person. And in that sense, I had forgotten that I was purged from my old sins. And I was going after the things of the world, and I was lusting after the things of the world, and I was, I was headlong into those things, and ignoring the fact that I am not this person anymore. I'm a new creature in Christ. But I've forgotten. 
And I hadn't forgotten. I knew it was a reality and the Holy Spirit was always there convicting me and chastening me and that was all a reality. But as I was living like I was living, nobody else around me in, in, in several settings of my life, nobody else around me would have ever known I was a Christian. And there were times that I didn't even think about the fact that I was a Christian. I was blind and I couldn't see afar off and I had forgotten that I was purged from my old sins. And then you know what happened? I got so far away from God that I started to wonder if I was saved at all. And then I started to wonder if salvation was even what I thought it was. And then I started to question, well, how can I really know that the things that I've always been taught are really true? And I'm just telling you, I was in a really bad place spiritually until the Lord opened my eyes to some things and I finally got some things right with God. And you know what it was? And, and, and I know this sounds cliche, but it, it is so true. It was like someone turned on a light switch and all of a sudden everything came into focus and it was clear. I had been delivered. I had been saved. And, and that blindness that was there because of my sin had become now light. I, I was no longer barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You say, well, oh man, you've got, so you've got to work really hard to make sure you're saved. No, no, no. You remember... Last, two, two weeks ago, Sunday, we talked about Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's the idea of that? It's real inside of you if you've been saved. Now let it work out of you. W work it out. Make your calling and election sure. Listen, you can be saved and away from God but you're not going to be very confident and bold. And you're probably going to struggle even with assurance of your salvation, and you're certainly going to struggle with any kind of confidence or boldness in your prayer life, and you're certainly going to struggle to ever be bold in your witness for Christ because you're kind of, you're saved, but you're distant. But if you'll give diligence to these things, you know what will happen? You'll make that calling and election sure. It'll just kind of come into view. Again, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that this is something that, you know, hey, just you know, do these things. Here's step one, two, three, and all of a sudden now you're just this model of a Christian. I'm just saying this is what God has commanded us to do, to add to our faith. And then he's promised, he's attached these promises that if, if we will be diligent to add these things to our faith, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring stability to our lives as Christians so that Verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to close my eyes in death with absolute confidence that I am ready. You say, well, pastor, are you saying you don't know? You're saying, no, no, I know I'm saved. But can I honestly say, like Paul said... In 2 Timothy 4, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've done everything that God wanted me to do. I'm ready. I'm ready to make a grand entrance. 
into the presence of the Lord. Can you say that? Can you say that since, since salvation, and I'm not saying perfectly, we all stumble, we all fall, we all fail. But can you honestly say, I am diligently adding to my faith. God saved me, and by the grace of God, I want to be diligent in growing closer to Him and growing to be more like 